Welcome to Episode 9 of Oddments, the podcast for curious people and curious things. I'm your host, Jeff Wagg, coming to you from the College of Curiosity. This week, we'll investigate the mysteries of the Enigma machine, hear from our new intern, Madeline Amelia, about an amazing place you've never heard of, hear a piece of music from a famous painting, and finally, we'll take the announcer's test. But first, we'll explore the Aral Sea. Located between Kazakhstan and Uzbekistan, the Aral Sea covers more than 26,200 square miles and has a maximum depth of 138 feet. It is the fourth largest lake in the world, larger than all the Great Lakes save Superior. Formed over 5 million years ago, it supplies water and fish to the surrounding areas. Well, that used to be true. Now, none of it is, for the Aral Sea has ceased to exist. Aral means islands, and the Aral Sea was aptly named, once surrounding over a thousand islands. Now these islands are dusty hills surrounded by contaminated saline plains. How did this happen? In 1918, the Soviet Union decided that the Aral Sea was nature's mistake and diverted water from its two tributary rivers into the desert where it was used to water cotton crops. Unfortunately, the irrigation was poorly done, with up to 75% of the water lost to evaporation in the dry desert air. In 1960, more water was diverted, and in just 30 years, the Aral Sea ceased to exist for most intents and purposes. For years, the sea was used as a disposal zone for raw sewage, and pesticides from runoff accumulated in the lake bed. In 1948, a secret bioweapons laboratory was built on one of the islands in the middle of the lake, and while much of its activity remains secret, it's known that anthrax, bubonic plague, and tularemia were all researched there, with their waste products dumped into the sea. The island is now on dry land, and live anthrax spores have been found. The missing lake has also altered the local weather. Where rains used to occur with regularity, they are now rare. Dust storms are common and thought to be a source of the unusually high level of throat cancer, kidney disease, and child mortality. However, there is hope. After the collapse of the Soviet Union, Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, Tajikistan, Turkmenistan, and Uzbekistan have pledged 1% of their total budgets to restoring the lake, which is now two much smaller lakes, north and south. The U.S. and Uzbekistan decontaminated 10 anthrax sites, and fish have returned to the northern lake in enough quantity to allow limited commercial fishing. The south lake, which had much more contamination and less water inflow, was thought to be hopeless, but even there, fish have returned. Because of the lake's tenuous recovery, the area's humidity has increased enough that rains have begun again. What's the difference between a sea and a lake? Though they may be called seas, lakes like the Aral Sea, the Sea of Galilee, and the Dead Sea are truly lakes because they don't connect to the ocean. The official definition of a sea is a partially enclosed portion of the ocean. This next segment is from Madeline Amelia, our new intern. Cahokia is the coolest thing that you've never heard of. East of St. Louis is an amazing place called Cahokia. It was the largest city in ancient North America, though it's just ruins now. 
It was larger than 12th century London at that time, and no American city got that big until 1780, when the population of Philadelphia exceeded 40,000 people. By the time European Americans claimed the land, the city had already been abandoned for over 400 years. It was a huge city, leaving behind more than 200 grand earthen mounds and pyramids spread out over 3,200 acres, and it baffled the settlers of St. Louis. The local Native American tribe, for whom the site is named, hadn't actually built these mounds, and explained that they'd always just been there. The central pyramid still stands today. It's the largest pyramid north of Mexico, and the third largest in the entire Western Hemisphere. Until the year 1054, the population in Cahokia lingered around a thousand people, but then boomed through the 1100s. At its height, more than 10,000 people were packed into five square miles which made up the walled city center. Twenty to 30,000 more lived in the suburbs, which continued for 50 miles in every direction. But why would the population increase so suddenly? Before I go on, it's worth noting that the original name of Cahokia is unknown. The people who built and lived in this city had a complex society, but the archaeologists who excavated there haven't found any written language to explain who these people were, what they called their massive city, or why they built it. What they do know is this. On July 4, 1054, a Chinese astrologer recorded the appearance of a bright new star, which we now know was a supernova in the Taurus constellation. This brilliant beacon was visible at all hours for 23 days, and twinkled brightly in the dark for the next two years. Petroglyphs depicting the supernova have been found throughout the Americas. The citizens of Cahokia would have seen this event in their sky, and the leaders may have interpreted this stellar show as a sign to move forward and build the greatest city ever known. So they did. The old Cahokia was leveled, and a new city was built on top of what remained. This was the dawning of new Cahokia. The pyramids and packed earth mounds gave way to open plazas surrounded by thatched houses, temples, and public buildings. These functioned as neighborhoods, with the same socioeconomic rules that our modern cities still have today. This structure increased in complexity until the late 13th century, when archaeologists believe famine and political upheaval stalled Cahokia's growth. In the 14th and 15th centuries, the population rapidly declined until the 16th century, when Cahokia was completely abandoned. You can still visit what was once the sparkling North American metropolis of Cahokia, now a World Heritage Site, by taking the highway east from St. Louis for about 15 minutes. Climbing to the top of Monk's Mound, which covers 14 acres of land and reaches 100 feet into the air, is not an easy task, but well worth it. From the top, you can look out on Collinsville, which is mostly trailers and abandoned shops, and see St. Louis in the distance. Thank you for that, Madeline. In case you can't wrap your head around how big 14 acres is, if you've ever been to Las Vegas and seen the Luxor, the giant pyramid at one end of the Strip, its entire complex is about the same size as the one pyramid in Cahokia. Hieronymus Bosch was the pen name of Hieronymus van Aken, and he's one of the best known of the Netherlandish painters. His work at the end of the 15th and beginning of the 16th centuries depicted moral concepts with bizarre and fantastic imagery. One of his best-known works is called The Garden of Earthly Delights, and it features three panels depicting God giving Eve to Adam, a fantastic world of nude figures and odd animals, and finally what can only be called Hell. 
In hell, we see figures being eaten and tortured, including one poor soul who has apparently been crushed by a large stringed instrument. On his naked backside is written sheet music. A college student by the name of Amelia, not to be confused with our intern, Madeline Amelia, has a tumbler called Chaos Controlled 123, and earlier this year she decided to transcribe the music so that we could hear what the latest hit in hell was. And here it is. Amelia admits that there may be some errors, and she's had to assume that it was in the key of C, as there was no ligature on the page. But you have just heard what's being referred to as the butt song from hell. You're welcome. In the early days of radio broadcasting, it was necessary to test potential announcers to see if they could enunciate properly. One early test was this paragraph used by Phillips Carlin, who helped announce the World Series during 1926, 1927, and 1928. It went like this. Penelope Chelmondeley raised her azure eyes from the crabbed scenario. She meandered among the congeries of her memory. There was the kinetic Algernon, a choleric artificer of icons and triptychs who wanted to write a trilogy. For years she had stifled her risibilities with dour moods. Her asthma caused her to sow like zephyrs among the tamarack. If you think I got that in one take, you would be sadly mistaken. Tongue twisters were also used, like the six sheiks, six sheeps sick, and the seething sea ceased to see, then thus sufficeth thuth. Uh, thus. But perhaps the most famous announcer's test was produced by Radio Central in New York. It's a simple list, but it's not so simple to remember. One hen, two ducks, three squawking geese, four limerick oysters, five corpulent porpoises, six pairs of Don Verso's tweezers, seven thousand Macedonians in full battle array, eight brass monkeys from the ancient sacred crypts of Egypt, nine apathetic, sympathetic, diabetic old men on roller skates with a marked propensity for procrastination and sloth, ten lyrical, spherical, diabolical denizens of the deep who haul stall around the corner of the quo of the quay of the quivery all at the very same time. This is something my father taught me when I was about five, and we used it as a memory test around the neighborhood. It has also been made into a song, and the Boy Scouts use it as a repeating chant. Some have added an eleventh line that goes like this. Eleven Neutromatic Synthesizing Systems owned by the Seriously Cybernetic Marketing Department shipped via relativistic spaceflight through the Draconian Sector 7. This last is thought to be a nod to Douglas Adams of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy series of books. Thank you for listening to this week's Oddments. Show notes, including a picture of the Garden of Earthly Delights, are available at collegeofcuriosity.com. <laughs>